This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins Rama Bible Training Center, Nigeria. See, scripture is inspired. So those uh, prayers, they are in scripture. So obviously they are inspired. And Paul prayed them for the saints at Ephesus. So, and if they were good enough for the saints in Ephesus, believe me, they are good enough for the saints in Lagos. So you can pray them for yourself. Then maybe you want to pray for a fellow minister or a fellow Christian, a believer going through some challenges, maybe not seeing some truths. Just put his name there and just pray them. Now, don't do it just haphazardly when you remember on a hit and miss basis. No, that won't work. Stay with it. Be consistent about it. I'll encourage you to do it for at least six months consistently. A minimum of morning and evening. Just open your Bible to those scriptures and read them out prayerfully. Put in your name there or put in the name of the person you want to pray the prayers for. Amen. We said also that authority is delegated power. And the value of that authority depends on the force that is back of the user. Now, what's the force that stands back of us? Who gave us that authority? Jesus did. Luke ten nineteen. he said, Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the ability, all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And Jesus is the one that gave us the authority. Who's Jesus? He's the incarnate word of God. He's God the Son, the second person of the Godhead. And he said he didn't come to do his own will, but the will of the Father. Amen. And remember he said, the Bible says of him that him who knew no sin was made to be sin. So that means in everything he did, he did the Father's will. So those words he spoke, he said, uh, the words I speak, they are not my words, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So when Jesus gave us the authority, God gave it to us. Amen. So God himself is the force that stands back of our authority. He's the force that's behind it. Amen. And then we also looked at the fact that the basis of the authority of the believer is the resurrection and the seating of Christ at the right hand of the Father. Well, sometimes I think we do people an injustice just quoting some of these things. It's good to read them. Check them out in your own Bible. See if it's still there. Praise God. Amen. Of course it is. Let's open to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Praise the Lord. We see from verse 19 where the Bible says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word or towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? So the power of God that's at work towards the believer can be likened to only one thing, to God's power that was at work in Christ Jesus. Amen. When? When he raised him from the dead. When he raised him from the dead. You know, why was the resurrection of Jesus, why is that the greatest miracle that there ever is? The mightiest act of God that there ever was. Why is that the case? The reason it's the case is this. You know, when Jesus was on the way to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he began, he was under such pressure, he began to sweat great drops of blood. You know, some people have talked about the sufferings of Christ only in terms of the beatings he received. And believe me, he was beaten. He was humiliated. He was spat on. His beard was plucked. A crown of thorns was put on his head. Catonine whips. That stuff had like um, a razor at the edge of it. You throw around the person and then the stuff will insert into their skin. You pull it. That's some torture. That's some torture. Well, you know, we say Jesus got 39 stripes. He got more than 39 because it wasn't only Jews that beat him. Roman soldiers also beat him. They don't count. In the Old Testament, God said you don't beat, you mustn't beat a fellow Jew more than 40 stripes. So what they did is that he always did 40 less one, 39. So if it was about those 39 stripes, believe me, Paul got them five times. Are you listening to me? If it was just about the physical torture, Paul seemed to have been tortured more. Are you hearing my point? So, yes, Jesus suffered a lot of physical agony, but it wasn't... It was more than the physical agony. It was more than the weeping. It was more than dying. You know, he died, well, two kinds of death, but he died once. Paul said in deaths often. So Paul died more than one time. 
you know. Jesus got 39 stripes from the Jews, perhaps just once. Paul said he got his five times. Three times he was beaten with rods. So if you're talking about the person that suffered the greatest physical torture, I don't think it was Jesus. I don't think so. You know? Yes, he went through a lot. But you see, he was more than the physical torture. He died physically, he did. But Jesus' body was just like Adam's body was before the fall. It was neither mortal nor immortal. Are you listening to me? It was a perfect human body. That was what he had. Jesus, Adam was created. The rest of the human race was generated. If Jesus had been born the way we were born, he would have been a fallen being. He had to be an incarnation because nothing short of an incarnation could redeem us. Amen. God said in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. Now, the seed is not of the woman. The seed is of the man. But what was God suggesting there? The incarnation. That somebody will be born independent of the natural processes. You see, Mary's womb was simply the receptacle through which that holy seed was brought forth. You know, many times we talk about Jesus being born. You know, and the Bible talks about him being born. But you see, when he came to the earth, what really happened was he took upon himself a physical body. He was 100% God and at the same time 100% man. In our Bible doctrines class, we call that, well, not just in our class. That's what it is. It's called the hypostatic union. He was 100% God as well as 100% man. Something that's called the kenosis of Christ. How he laid aside certain divine rights and privileges. In person he was God but not in power doing his earth work. If he ministered as God, who will anoint God? Who will? You? God doesn't need to be anointed. Amen. But you see, Jesus did not minister by any power inherent in him as God. In person, yes, that was the second person of the Godhead, but not in power. For one, he wasn't omnipotent in his earth walk. He was not. He got hungry. He got tired. Omnipotence doesn't get tired. He wasn't omniscient. He was confined to one physical body. He wasn't omnipresent. He was in one physical body. He wasn't omniscient. I can tell you at least two things he didn't know. He said, the day the Son of Man will come, no one knows. Not the Son, only the Father. So in his earth walk, he didn't know that one thing. That means he wasn't omniscient. Tell you another thing he didn't know. Remember when the woman with Israel blood touched him? Said, who touched my clothes? And he was looking around to see her that had done this thing because he didn't know who it was. He knew power left him. So you see, yes, in person, that was God. But in power, he ministered as a man anointed by the Holy Ghost. Philippians chapter 2 from verse 5. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And the translation says, thought equality with God, not a thing to be grasped and held onto. Amen. But took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore also God hath highly exalted him and given him a name. That's verse 11, that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So you see, he emptied himself of those divine rights and privileges and got born as a man on the earth. Now, Adam, the first Adam, faced some tests and he failed them. He had to take the same tests and pass them. And he had to take them without any advantages, just like Adam did, which was what he did. He was tempted at all points like as we are. Amen. And he overcame every single time with the word of God. From the moment he showed up on the earth, the devil knew he was in trouble because he whipped the devil in every encounter in his earth walk with God's word. He didn't have any weapon we don't have today. He used the word of God. And then the time finally came when he went to the cross. Why did he go to the cross? He went there in my stead. You see, a man sold us out. A man had to buy us back. Man messed up. Amen. A man deserved punishment. You see, in redemption, God was fair. He was just. He was just. Somebody asked me one time, said, when Adam messed up, why didn't God just make another man? For one, with what dust would he have made another man? The devil was under the one who had dominion over it. So if he tried to mold something, spiritual death had entered into the system of the whole earth, of all creation, because of Adam's transgression. That's why the whole creation... You know, sometimes people talk about how creation is 
earnestly waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. And you see, sometimes we try to put that in another context than the context in which the Bible puts it. Yes, I know there's a sense in which sons of God will manifest now. But the real context of that thing is talking about, you know, when there will be the new heaven, the new earth, we'll have glorified bodies and all. That's what it's really talking about. Read it in context. That's what creation is groaning for. Because corruption has entered, spiritual death has entered into the whole thing. So he couldn't make another body. Someone said, why didn't he just write off Adam's sin? Well, then the devil will tell him, write off mine too. But God is just. In redemption, he was fair to himself. He was righteous to himself. He was righteous to the devil. He was righteous to man. He was righteous to his own law. You see, we were redeemed on perfectly legal grounds. We have an actual redemption from the devil's dominion. See, the devil does not have any more dominion over you than Pharaoh had over the children of Israel after they crossed the Red Sea. But you see, God did it on perfectly legal grounds. Jesus was not a martyr. He was a substitute. When he hung on that cross, I hung there with him. You hung there with him. He died in my stead. Galatians 2.20. King James Version says, I am crucified with Christ. A better rendering really is I was that's how Warrell New Testament puts it. I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, when he was crucified, we were crucified with him. When he died, we died with him. When he was buried, we were buried with him. Amen. You see, the Bible says that God is your purer eyes than to behold sin. Jesus referred to God in a way he had never had referred to him on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He never called God God. He was Father. He was always Father. But you see, something had happened. There was a cup he knew he was going to drink when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. There was a cup. What was that cup? The cup of the wrath of God. Yeah. You see, we had sinned. We deserve punishment. And we had to serve it. Amen. But the thing is, we couldn't serve it in ourselves. So God, in his goodness, in his mercies, in his great love, decided to send down the second person of the Godhead, who became a man, took upon himself a human body, was made a man just like we are, 100% God, 100% man, at the same time. Amen. And then he lived among us, and he brought a revelation of the Father to us. See, one of the reasons for the incarnation was for him to reveal the Father. Over the years, the real knowledge of who God is had been lost. See, Jesus showed up, began to call God his Father. And the most religious sect on the earth then picked up stones and they were going to stone him. They didn't know what he was talking about. They were used to a hard, harsh atmosphere of justice. You know, they were used to a, used to a God, you know, who was a God of retribution. That was all they knew. The law was the best revelation of himself God could give to spiritually dead men. Amen. But Jesus came to reveal the Father. What is God really like? You see, when he met sin, he forgave it. When he met sickness, he healed it. When he met needs, he met them. Because he came to reveal the Father. That's why he said, Philip said to him, John 14, 8, said, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. And he res responded, have I been so long with you and yet thou hast not known me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. He revealed the Father's heart. He walked in dominion. Remember, he had the life of God in his spirit. And then his body had him tainted by spiritual death during his earth walk. Amen. Because he had to qualify as the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish. But when he went to the cross, on that cross, he became identified with the sin nature that was in man. Now, did Jesus become a sinner? No. He never sinned. He never became a sinner. But he was made to be sin for us. Our sin nature was laid upon him. He was made a curse for us. Our poverty was laid on him. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. And somebody said to me one time, he said, you see, Jesus was spiritually poor. I said, I beg your pardon. No, it wasn't talking about spiritual poverty. It was talking, read the context. It was talking about kulele. You know kulele? Yeah, kao, kudi, owo. 
akwekanuko. That's what he was talking about. You know that word? Check it up in the dictionary. He's talking about cash. He's talking about money, material resources. So he was made poor. When was he poor? Not in his earthwork. Not in his earthwork. Imagine that guy had, he had 12 disciples. One of them was a thief. He had so much money, he needed somebody to be his treasurer. And his treasurer was stealing the money. And yet, all their needs were still met. Now, was he ostentatious? He was not. Was he flamboyant? He was not. But all their needs were met. All their wants were supplied. He was rich. What does rich mean? Does he mean being a millionaire? God didn't promise us we'll all be millionaires. No, but he wants us rich. Rich means a full supply. Rich means abundant provision. Are you listening to me? Amen. So, he was made poor on the cross when he became a curse. When our sin was laid on him. When our diseases were laid on him. When he died, I died with him. We died with him. He did it in our stead. You see, two words. One is substitution. The other is identification. John 3, 14. Jesus said as Moses lifted up the brass serpent in the wilderness, even so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, brass is a type of sin. The serpent is a type of the devil. You see, in Psalm 22, he said, I'm but a worm and no man. Some of these things, the natural mind almost recoils at the mention of them. But the heart rejoices in it. I don't know any truth that brings a sinner to his knees. Much more than the truth of what Jesus did. The love that God showed in the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. He partook of spiritual death for me. So remember, that's a member of the Godhead. That's the second person of the Godhead. See, that was the cop. That was why he had to say, Father, isn't there some other way around this? Can't we fix this thing without me necessarily having to go through this route? Now, nobody has ever suffered that, and nobody ever will. Nobody even has the capacity to. But he did. And he did it in our stead. And that's why that's the mightiest work of God. Deity had become a man. And still, he was God. Yet, he now took upon himself our sin nature. He took upon himself our diseases, our poverty, our curse, our failure. He took it on himself. Many times, we talk about the cross and thank God for the cross. But I don't mind telling you, Jesus is not on the cross anymore. Yes, you have to go through the cross. But you see, he went through the cross and then was in the grave. But that's not where the story ended. There was a resurrection morn. He arose. And then he was raised up and seated at the right hand of the Father. We shouldn't practice a cross religion. We should practice a throne religion. Thank God for the cross. But the cross was the place where love slew the son. The cross was the place of defeat. The cross was the place of sin. And yes, we needed it. We had to go through that route. But you see, that wasn't where it ended. Amen. Some people's Jesus, it looks like he's still on the cross. Mine is on the throne. And that's where yours is too. And guess what? He's not the only one on that throne. He is seated right there with him. So the basis of our authority is this resurrection and seating of Christ at the right hand of the Father. You see, when he died, we died with him. When he was buried, we were buried with him. So where did he go when he died? Well, where do people separated from God go? Somebody said he went to Abraham's bosom. No, that wasn't where he went. He later went to Abraham's bosom, but not right away. Remember the story in Luke 16 from verse 19, where the Bible says there was a, a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, fresh softly every day, sat in beggar named Lazarus, laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed from the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Came to pass that Lazarus died, was buried. Angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. The rich man died, and he being in hell, lifted up his eyes, said Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom said, Lazarus, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and come and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou during the lifetime receivest the good things, Lazarus the evil things. Now he is comforted, thou art tormented. Besides this, there's a great gulf that speaks between you and us, so that they that will come from thence, hence cannot. In that can they go from hence to hence. You know, and then the guy remembered he had five brothers. Said, send someone to go and meet them. He said, well, they have uh, Moses and the prophets. He said, they might not listen to Moses and the prophets. And Abraham told him, if they didn't listen to Moses and the prophets, he said, well, they listen if someone was raised from the dead. How true that was. When Jesus was raised from the dead, they didn't listen to him either. 
But you see, we know that there was Abraham's bosom, there was hell. Now, that story wasn't a parable. Jesus said there was a certain rich man. To tell me that's a parable is to insult my intelligence. And a certain man named Lazarus, that's no parable. It's actual fact. So we know there's a real hell. Amen. It's not figurative, it's literal. And we know there was Abraham's bosom. Now, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The Old Testament saints, when they died, they couldn't go there. Yet, not yet. They had a promissory note on eternal life. A post-dated check. Are you listening? And the, uh, the fact is that the money wasn't even yet in the bank. Because Jesus had not died. You know, many times, people go to Hebrews 11. And where the Bible says, these all died in faith, not having received the promise. And they tell you that, look, you can die and not receive the promise. I beg your pardon. That's not what that is saying. The promise, God did not tell them the promise was for their day. That promise wasn't for their day. There's no such thing as I acted on the word of God and it didn't work. Shut up. If you repent for lying, God will forgive you. You didn't do so. If you acted on the word of God and it didn't work, then somebody needs to repent. Either you or God. I don't mind telling you it's you because you lied. I'd rather die and go to hell than say I acted on the word of God and it didn't work. Because it's not possible. See, God's very throne stands back of his word. Are you listening to me? So you see, he was our substitute. When he died, he went to that hell. And he suffered there for us. He suffered there for us. It was the wisdom of God that yielded the son to spiritual death. It was God's wisdom. Remember, his deity were humanity. One hour of deity suffering is worth more than an eternity of humanity suffering. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered up for our offenses and he was raised up for our justification. The marginal rendering says he was delivered up on account of our offenses and he was raised up when we were declared righteous. Amen. You see, in those three days and nights, he suffered in our stead. He was in the prison house of suffering, the region of the damned. He went there for you. He went there for me. He bore it all. He bore it all. And then after those three days and nights, God looked over the banisters of heaven. And he said, it's enough. It's enough. He has satisfied the claims of justice. He has met the demands of the law. And then Jesus was declared righteous. And when he was declared righteous, we were declared righteous. With him. Amen. And not only that, the life of God was imparted into his spirit. Remember the Bible says in Acts 13, 33, you know, as it's written in the first psalm, that my son, this day have I begotten thee. When he raised up the first begotten from the dead. See, the day God begat him was the day he was raised up from the dead. He was raised up from spiritual death. Now, some people have a problem with this, you know. I don't mean to split hairs over this. I, 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 I don't believe in arguing over doctrine. Makes no sense. Don't go on Facebook and start fighting. Doesn't help anybody, you know. Praise God. The truth is we can disagree without being disagreeable. But you see, he was the first begotten from, from the dead. Amen. The day God raised him up from the dead, God said, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Why? Because he had been made spiritually dead for us. He paid the price. He paid it in full. So when he paid it in full, and God looked, it's like, yeah, these guys, they, they've suffered the punishment in full. And then he was declared righteous, and we were declared righteous. And then he was made alive, and we were made alive. And then he conquered Satan, and he conquered Satan in our stead, so we conquered Satan. And then he was raised up from the dead, and we were raised up from the dead. Remember Mary Magdalene? That day she was there, and then he showed up to her. She was going to touch him. He said, touch me not. I'm not yet ascended to my God, your God, my father, your father. Go to meet my disciples and Peter. Tell them. Just like I told them, I'll meet them in such and such a place. Later that same evening, he showed up to his disciples, said, handle me. Well, why was it that one time they couldn't touch him, another time they could touch him? He told us why. He had gone to the Father. He went there with his blood. He went there with the sacrifice. And the Father was pleased with it. And he satisfied the claims of justice. Hebrews 9.26 says he put sin away by the sacrifice of himself. See, there's no sin problem today. There's only a sinner problem. If you'll bring the sinner to Jesus, he'll rid him of sin. See, God never told you to fight sin. If you're fighting sin, you're in the wrong fight. God never told you to fight Satan. If you're fighting Satan, he'll whip you. Romans 8 from verse 1. 
The Bible says there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Verse 2 says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That's verse 4. 5 says, For they that after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him, verse 11, that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, 13, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again in fair, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry our Father, the spirit itself, actually himself, bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You see, Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. The Amplified Bible says in Romans 8, 4, that he condemned, subdued, overcame, and deprived sin of its power over all those who accept the sacrifice of his son. Amen. He conquered sin. That's what I'm saying. And that's why by walking according to our recreated spirits, we can mortify, put to death the deeds of the body. So there's no sin problem, only a sinner problem. Amen. So stop trying to fight sin. That's why it will keep whipping you. We can walk in victory. And there's a student I'm about to make. I make it many times. And people, you know, they have ways of hearing things. You know? But I keep saying it anyway because it's the truth. I tell people all the time that I'm sinning all I want to sin. I'm doing all the wrong I want to do. So what do you mean by that? This is what I mean by that. I don't want to sin anymore. And that's what the new birth is. The new birth is God imparting his life into man's spirit. You know, a dog barks. Why does it bark? It's a dog. It's a dog. You know, God never told the sinner to be sorry for his sins. He's a sinner. He will sin. That's his nature. He has a wrong nature. Who should he be sorry for if he chooses to stay a sinner? And there's a solution that is available and he does not accept the solution. He should be sorry for himself. Amen. I made a statement earlier on that people don't go to hell because they sin. They go to hell because they stayed sinners by refusing to reject Jesus. See, the issue is Jesus. Are you listening? The issue is Jesus. Jesus is the issue. Jesus is the message. Jesus is the message. You say, okay, 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 what are you saying? What if after receiving Jesus, I keep sinning? Then it wasn't Jesus you received. It wasn't Jesus you received. You said a prayer at an altar. You didn't receive Jesus. Yes. Maybe you were trying to get a babe. And then you came to church. And she had been telling you she can't be unequally yoked with you. So you cried to one altar. So she would think you are saved. It wasn't Jesus you received. If you meet Jesus. And you receive Jesus into your heart. He will change your nature. You will be changed on the inside. If you are not changed on the inside. You never met Jesus. See that's what the new birth is. The new birth is God giving birth to a new man. God imparting his life into our spirit. Let me tell you something. You see, the problem is this. We have taught some things so long, so long, that we think they are true. Yes, sir. We have taught some things so long. We have presented some things in some ways. Look, the way you come into Christ will determine whether you will even struggle in your Christian life. Yes. If your concept is come and give your life to Christ, come and confess your sins, you know, if it's that kind of concept and you think it's about a commitment, okay, from today, I will stop doing what is wrong. Okay, from today, I will start doing what is right. That's not the new birth. God did not tell you to give up your sins to get saved. Are you saying that I am saying it? Do you mean that I mean it? What God told you to do is to receive Jesus. When you receive Jesus, then Jesus changes your nature. Galatians 5 from verse 16. The Bible says this, I say then, walk in the spirit. And you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. 
But if he be led of the spirit, he are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, various emulation, drugs, stripes, seditions, heresies, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you, as I told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and against such there is no law. Says they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. Are you listening to me? Amen. You see, at the new birth, the life of God came into your spirit. The nature of God came into your heart. Your past was remitted. Now, do you still have the same flesh you had before? You do. Will your flesh still want to do stuff that's wrong? Yes. Will your natural mind still want to think in ways that are wrong? Yes. What do we now do now? You let your born again spirit dominate you. That's what the Christian life is. But you see, when we have told them that is about, that's why there are many people in churches that are not saved. They are not saved. They only mentally assented, like John Wesley said, to the reality of eternal life. John Wesley said the devil has given to the church a substitute for faith. Looks so much like faith, sounds so much like faith. Three people can tell the difference. He called it mental agreement. E.W. Kenyon called it mental assent. You see, some of these things are so fundamental. They are so fundamental. If you miss them here, you will miss them everywhere. Let me tell you something. It's my observation that 99.99% of preachers don't know what the new birth is. That's my observation. That's my observation. That's been my experience. A denomination is known by its stand on the new birth. There's a denomination that believes that at the new birth we're saved from outward sin. But that the root of sin is still in our heart. Of course, you know there will be failures in their Christian life. If you believe that, you will struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle. And the strength of sin is also the law. The places where they are most legalistic about do's, don'ts, do's, don'ts, that's where you find the greatest sin. But when people know who they are in Christ, when they know that the life of God is in them, when they know that the nature of God is in them, when they know that when you got saved, you are made a new man. You are made a new man. Kenneth Hagin said something. He said one of the things that made the greatest difference in his life was that he told everybody he met that he's a new creature. See, while he was on the deathbed, there was some particular Baptist man who said something on radio and he heard it. He was on the deathbed. The man talked about some scriptures that tell you who you are in Christ. The man talked about the fact that write them down. Begin to confess them. W. Hacken, that's his name. So Brother Hagin had that. And then one of the scriptures he saw, actually, perhaps his favorite of them, was 2 Corinthians 5.17. Then he began to say it. Told everybody he met, I'm a new creature. I'm a new creature. There was this guy, Lefty. Lefty was 250 pounds. Alton was his name. See, Brother Hagin had some abilities. One was that he could pick any lock. Maybe you didn't know that. Well, you just did. Another is that he could tame any wild animal. A third is that he could pick up stuff and you won't catch him. You see, that's the making of a crook. You go to a store, they have a lock there, you open it. They have cameras there, you can beat the camera. They have a dog, a security dog, you tame the dog. So the dog doesn't attack you. That's the making of a crook. And the truth is that he used some of those things as a sinner boy. He used them. He used them to some extent, you know. Yeah, he'll pick lock for his friends. They'll go, J.C. Penny, go rob. You know, take stuff, bring it out. They'll eat it together. Then he got saved. Got born again. He met Alton. You know, Alton didn't come to see him the 16 months he was on the deathbed. After he was raised up, he met him. And then he tried to remind him of the things they used to do together. Then he said, well, uh, the fellow who was with you guys that night is dead. I'm not the one. I may be living in the house that man was living in, but there's a new man in here now. You see, I don't mind daring to be a little bit... We have to be punchy about truth. Are you listening to me? We have to be punchy about truth. The faith message... You see, my observation, in this country, we believe we've heard it, but I'm not sure we have. I won't say so. Yes, we may have heard some things. Yes, we may know some things. But I always tell people, beware of the false half, the half-truth. Because you might have gotten hold of the wrong half. Amen. I don't mind being punchy about the truth. 
because we have to be. Do I look for controversy and just stare controversy? I don't. No. However, the truth is the truth. The truth is the truth. And sometimes we need to say things in a way that they know that we are not both saying the same thing. Sometimes we just have to come out and say it clear and make a statement of what some of these things are. You see, what you believe will determine how your Christian life will be. See, the mess in this country is the result of the mess of a lack of revelation knowledge in the body of Christ here. But thank God, thank God, there are other people who are putting out revelation knowledge. Other people. I'm not trying to say that we are the Messiah. We're not. Jesus is the Messiah. We are not trying to say Rema is the answer. No, no. Jesus is the answer. There are other people putting out truth. But we're endeavoring to be one of them. And we're going to put it out loud. We're going to sound it clear. We're not going to compromise revelation knowledge. We're not going to compromise the truth of the word of God. We're going to lay it bare. Regardless of whose ox is God. Are you listening to me? I'm not just... Uh, 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 you know, when you start growing older, sometimes a time comes and you can say some things and say them with effrontery, with shameless boldness, with gusto, with, with, with confidence. Amen. And it's time we set some things. It's time we set some things. Amen. Am I talking about extreme? No, I'm not for extreme. I don't believe in extremes. We be, I believe we should stay in the middle of the road with truth. Yes, is there wisdom in passing out truth? There is. Sometimes you make a mistake trying to teach people something they are not ready for. You're going to mess them up. It's like you're trying to feed a baby with meat. You could kill the baby. But I know that the folks I'm talking to here are folks who are hungry for revelation knowledge. I know the folks who I'm talking to here are folks who are ready for this kind of stuff and who believe it. And besides, what am I really saying? Just the elementaries. Just the basics. That you're a new creature in Christ. That the life of God is in you. That you're not created for failure. That you're not created for the low life. That you can live a victorious life. That you can walk in victory over the flesh. Victory over the world. Victory over the devil. That you've got authority. Amen. The substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. That he died in our stead. He was buried in our stead. He was raised up in our stead. When he arose, we arose. And you see Colossians 1, 12 to 14. The Bible says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet, who has made us able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the authority of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Tell you, that word is aphasis, remission. Colossians 1, 12 to 14. You see, when you got born again, that moment that you took Jesus as your Savior and confessed him as your Lord, God the Father delivered you from the authority of darkness and he translated you into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, sometimes there are Christians that are trying to get delivered. I meet them all the time. Now, am I trying to say a Christian can't have trouble with demons? He can. Why do I say so? Ephesians 4.27 says, neither give place to the devil. That means the devil can take place in your life if you give him. Yeah, a Christian can have demon trouble. A Christian can be oppressed. A Christian can be obsessed. But a Christian cannot be possessed. Because for the devil to possess you, you first have to dispossess you of the Holy Spirit. And there, there is no devil that is born anywhere that can do that. Are you listening? But a Christian can open the door to demon activity. It's possible. Very possible. However, it's also possible for the Christian not to give place to the devil. Because God won't tell me to do what I can do. Now, let's even say you actually have demon trouble, really. You are being oppressed or obsessed in your mind or wherever of the enemy. How do you get out of it? Do you have to run from pillar to post looking for someone to deliver you? Well, if you were to meet a believer who knows his authority or a minister who does, they could help you. But the truth is, you actually can help yourself. Do you know that if you will simply believe that you are delivered... And you will confess that you are delivered. Then the deliverance that is yours will become a reality. See, faith's confessions create realities. Now, what do I mean by that? Isn't the word of God already a reality? It's a reality. It's a spiritual reality. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But you as well as me, you don't just want those blessings in heavenly places. You want them to manifest in earthly places where we are now. 
And how does that happen? By confessing them. By confessing them. By confessing them. By confessing them. Philemon 6 says that the communication of our faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in us in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 10, 23. It says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he's faithful that promised. Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passing to the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. You see, your continual confession of the word of God is the devil's defeat. Your faith is measured by your confession. Your usefulness to the Lord's work is measured by your confession. All you are today and all you have today is the result of what you believed and said yesterday. Yes. If you are not satisfied with where you are at now in life, check up on what you are saying. You are the architect of your own fortune or misfortune. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Proverbs 12, 18. There is that speaketh like the persons of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, health to the bones. Proverbs 21, 23. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue, keepeth his soul from troubles. Proverbs 6, 2. Thou art snared by thy words. Thou art taken, taken captive, the margin says, by the words of your mouth. You see, you said you could not do it. And the moment you said it, you were whipped. You said you did not have faith. And that instance, doubt rose up like a giant and bound you. You thought failure and failure held you in bondage. You see, with your mouth, you are either going to glorify God or glorify Satan. And we glorify Satan all the time. Believers, we are experts at it. What we talk about is just the devil. What the devil is doing. What the devil has done. How the devil is hindering us. How he's keeping us from success. What all the problems we are facing. How everything is bad. You may just as well lift up your hands and start worshipping the devil if you talk that way. Because that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. I'm not going to brag on the devil. I'm going to brag on God. He's my father. And he's greater than all. And listen to me. He doesn't mind being bragged on. <laughs> Someone said to me one time, he said, you just like to brag. I said, you're correct. I do. But I don't brag on me. I brag on Jesus. I brag on the finished work of redemption. I brag on my matchless heavenly father. I brag on the authority of the believer. I brag on the name of Jesus. And it makes the father glad. Amen. You see, you have been delivered already. You don't have to run from pillar to post. If you would just believe that, and you will confess that, you know what will happen? The bondage will be gone. I went to preach in an assembly. And then the pastor, you see, I've been talking like this for a while. Talking like this for a while. The pastor in that assembly, this was many years back, now told me there's a certain sister in that place that has a peculiar problem. And he would like me to help her if I can. Okay, what was the problem? The lady said she has what they call spirit husband, whatever that is. But said they had spirit husband. I said, all right, what about this spirit husband deal? She said, as she's talking to me, she can feel a ring in her ring finger. She said she can feel it. She can feel it. She said she can feel a bangle in her hand. She said, in the night, there's this fellow that comes and to sleep with her in the night. Not a real person. She wakes up in the morning and she sees evidence, physical evidence that something happened. Are you listening to me? Now, that was her experience. Do you want to tell her she's insane? She's the one that knows what she's going through. <laughs> Are you listening? <laughs> you mind me going on a side journey? You know? I remember Lillian Humans, Lillian B. Humans. There was a time in her life she got away from God, you know. She wasn't working with God. She was a medical doctor. She got uh, so much into work. She had to be using drugs, morphine, you know, and stuff like that. And she became addicted, and then she was in trouble. So she was looking for help. One of the times she was looking for help, she went to some of these Christian science nonsense stuff. When she got to them, then they told her, they said, look, pain is not real. You know, these things are not real. She was looking at them. What I'm going through is not real. Okay. They finished all their nonsense. When they finished, you know, the so-called therapy, it was now time to pay. And they now build a heavy amount of money. Then she told them, you know what? You know, many things are not real. Money is not real. <laughs> Just take it in your minds. That, and you know, these things are in the mind. Just in your mind also, I paid you. Just take it like that. <laughs> Only... <laughs> Are you listening? Some people hear me speak Yoruba and they wonder, eh? so you can. Listen, I'm a son of the shore. Are you hearing me? I can write in it. 
I can't read in it. Amen. Anyway, so this was her experience. She was being oppressed. It took her 45 minutes of telling me the story. She told me how she went to a place and they told her that she had serpentine spirit. And she's going to tell her, ask her mom what happened. She went to her mom, got home. Her mom said that when she was carrying her pregnancy, heavy with her, that one day a snake appeared in the house. Are you listening? And the snake wrapped itself around the, her womb. Not in a dream that it happened. That you saw a snake came wrapped around her. They tried to kill the snake. They couldn't find it. That was what I was told. So you see, that seemed to confirm what they told her. And after telling her now, deliver her, deliver her, they couldn't get her delivered. I listened to everything. By the time she finished talking, 45 minutes, I told myself, I said, hmm, what can I do to help this lady? I said, I can take my authority. I know my authority. I'm a believer, like any believer. The name of Jesus belongs to me. I can just take that name. I know this is demon activity. And break the power of the devil over her life, and she'll be free. I said, but if I do that, this is what's going to happen. The devil, you see, he will always try to do a counter-attack. P.C. Nelson said, more people lose their healing over a counter-attack than over any one thing. Matthew 12, 43 to 45. It says, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will go back to my house where I came from. And when he's come to it, he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. And he grows to bring seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So I knew if I don't teach her, I'm going to compound her problem. There's no use trying to minister to her without first getting her grounded in God's word. I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. I said, just sit down and listen. 40 minutes, just teaching her about the authority of the believer. Teaching her about who she is in Christ. Teaching her that she's been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. I just unveiled that to her. That was all. Well, the next time I saw her, sat her down again, another 40, 45 minutes, just opened up God's word to her. See, there's something about the teaching of God's word. The Bible says, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. <laughs> Brother Hagin said, when he came over among Pentecostals, you know, he was born again April 22nd, 1933. Got off the deathbed August 8, 1934. Got filled with the Holy Ghost April 8, 1937. So 1937, he got filled with the Holy Ghost, came over among Pentecostals, was given the left foot of fellowship from the Baptists. And um, he said, at that time, it was the in thing. You see, some things we think are flying around now, they didn't just start now. They, be, they don't pay when then they fly around. He said, it was the in thing that people did deliverance meetings in Pentecostal circles. So he thought, well, this month, maybe it's part of Pentecostalism. So every Saturday in his church, he had deliverance meetings. Every Saturday night, deliverance meetings. And he did that for 13 weeks, three months. After three months, he saw the novelty began to wane. So he changed it to loosening meetings. <laughs> he had another three months of loosening meetings. Then the novelty began to wane too. So he changed it. He called it getting free meetings. So he then had another three months of getting free meetings. So he had nine months of deliverance, loosening, and getting free. You know? He said he had every manifestation you can think of and some you shouldn't think of. He said, but he had all of them. Doing like a snake, hissing, walking on the head, jumping, anything. Think of it. He had it. And some you shouldn't think about. He had them. But he said after nine months, he saw that these people were not any more delivered now than they were when he started. So he said to the Lord, Lord, this is not adding up. This is not adding up. This thing, I may not be a genius, but I know this is not working. Then he began to pray and fast and seek God. He said the second day of his fast, the Lord said to him, gave him one scripture, John 8, 32. And the Lord said this, you're trying to do for my people through prayer, anointing with oil, laying on of hands, what my word and my word alone will do for them. Now, is this scriptural to pray for people? Yes. Is this scriptural to lay hands on people? Yes. Is this scriptural to anoint people with all for healing? Yes. But you see, those things only work when they are done based on the word and when the word is put out first. Then the Lord told him, teach them the word. So, so he stopped all that is nonsense. Gymnastics, calisthenics. He stopped all of it. And he just plain began to teach his people the word. And he said, and this is what happened. Their lives really, truly, fully changed. They were changed. They were transformed. They were delivered. They were set free. Amen. So going back to my story, I haven't forgotten. Second time I met her, 45 minutes, 
I taught her God's word, just showing her who she is in Christ. I didn't pray for her. It's okay to pray for people. I didn't minister to her. It's okay to minister to people. But I wanted her to get it by herself. The third time I saw her, before I started speaking, you know what she said? She said, do you know that I'm delivered from the power of darkness? She said, do you know that those things are gone? They can't come back. Do you know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? Amen. See, when they talk about spirit husband, someone asked me about spirit husband. I told the person, I said, did you not know that I'm married to Jesus? I'm dead from the law, so that I should be married to another who is raised from the dead, so I can bear fruit unto God. See, when they start telling you you have spirit husband, tell them, yes, Jesus is his name. Just show them in Bible. Amen. By believing the truth of God's word, and by speaking it, regardless of the bondage, it will go. It's like this whole stuff about ancestral curses. You see, there is experience. I know. Some people have had experiences. Certain things have happened to some people. I was talking with a man one time. The man said, look at you, this small boy. You're telling me I shouldn't do such and such. He said, listen, let me tell you stories, stories, stories. Sit down there. How old were you in 19 so and so? Let me tell you what happened. And then they will tell you their real life experiences. But you see, the way to help them is to show them from the word of God. And let them see, interpret their experience to them in the light of the word. Then they will understand. Some people have had things happen. Somebody that something happened to. You can't tell him it's not real. It's just like you tell me that it's never, uh, that there are no halls that are this size in Ikeja. And I'm inside one. As you're as you telling me on phone that it doesn't exist. I'll say I've heard you. I'll switch off the phone. Do you understand? There's no use arguing. And people have experienced stuff. They've gone through stuff. You know, they've seen some of these negative patterns. And by the way, are there demon act- is there demon activity? There is. And I'll, get, I'll explain that in a bit. But sometimes some things are not just demons. You know, some people become return to sender. You know return to sender? You know, five daughters married, all of them return to sender. Their marriages fail. Their husbands send them back to their father's house. Return to sender, return to sender, return to sender. And then somebody will come and say, it's a demon. It's a demon. Sometimes it's not a demon. Sometimes it's that their mother did not show them, by example, how to submit to their father. So none of them knows about submission. They don't have good manners. They don't have good character. They, they, they are lousy. They are argumentative. They, they act crazy. And then their husbands can dig it. You know, and it boots them out. Sometimes that's the case. Now, I'm not saying if you've had a challenge that that was your case. Sometimes there are men too that gravel is going in their head. Are you listening to me? So I'm not, I'm not attacking you. I'm just saying that this is sometimes the case. Many things that we blame demons for are not demons, they are flesh. It's just flesh. And you know, it's easy to say it's a demon. Then you put the responsibility on someone else. But when it's the flesh, you, know, you can cast that demon. You can't cast yourself out of your flesh. Except you want to go to heaven and die young. Crucifying the flesh hurts. And we don't want to do that. Renewing the mind takes some effort. And we don't want to do that. So sometimes some things, is not any flesh anything. You know, somebody was telling me how they were pulling down stronghold, the stronghold, the, the, the prince, the prince of Abuja. When he finished talking, I said, you see, that is the stronghold that we need to pull down. That stronghold in your thinking, that there's a prince of Abuja, you want to go to the high places to pull down. That is the stronghold. How do you change cities? Put the word out. All those so-called spiritual mapping, spiritual mapping, mapping and function is not what we are doing. We are not doing further maths. Stop mapping, mapping, mapping. Now, is it true that sometimes demons like to aggregate in places? Yes, we can prove it in scripture. The madman of Gadara, those demons still wanted to stay in that locality. They chose animals as a second choice to inhabiting a man. Demons, we know they are disembodied spirits. Amen. So, is it that these things don't exist? They do exist. Sometimes there are things that it's demonic and it goes in a family. Yes, some things are demonic. But let me tell you something. If you are born again, you are in Christ. Even if there is such a pattern in your family, the moment you get saved and you are in that family, it does not have to be your own experience. Now, if you don't know that you are born again and you don't stand your ground, listen, you can still experience the same pattern. And those same, sometimes demons, yes, they can still run you roughshod. Yes. But you know what? How do you now fix it? 
If the foundation be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? You now get these so-called prophets. They will now go to your hometown. They say they want to go and change the foundation. And then they will take it, precious olive oil that you should have used to fry good eggs and eat into your tummy. Eh? The egg you should be eating. You are not eating. And then your trouble is, is, is escalating because you are not eating good food. They will now go to your family house. They will now be pouring olive oil on the building, saying that they are trying to, they are trying to you know, destroy the foundation. My friend, what is your foundation? The Bible says, no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If you're born again, Jesus is your foundation. See, 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, though we have known Christ after the flesh. It says, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Stop knowing yourself after the flesh. No. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, you start to confess that. Then you know what happens? Then the devil makes your life look like that same pattern that happened in your father's house, to your father, that happened to your grandfather, that happened to your great-grandfather. You now see it. And this is where many believers miss it. When that happens, you know what they now do? They now say, I'm sure you want to hear the end of this. Maybe I should stop right now. I think I should stop now. So that you can come and hear the next. No, let me finish it. It will be a, a bad place to leave it hanging. Now, the thing that happens is that the devil camouflages it and he makes it look like that. Because he wants you to believe it. And he wants you to say it. And then you meet somebody who say, uh, I want you to here. Madam alone. It means so reality. Reality. Come on, so story man. Reality. What look at you bo? I want you to I want to She loves you for. It means software. It means software. Oh, good. Delay. Ah, yeah. I yeah, camera. Hey. Hey. you are bidding your your. Some of it cannot be translated. <laughs> you know, the Bible says, let them that are ignorant stay ignorant still. No, that's been mean. No, what I mean is that they'll just say, ah, the world. Hey, they've come again. All these things. Now, when you're going through stuff like that, what the devil is really attacking is your belief system. The moment you can start saying, ah, look at this pattern, oh. I need deliverance, oh. I need deliverance. So once you say that, the devil has you where he wants you. He has you where he wants you. There was this lady. They told her she had a demon. She said, but she's fine. She said, we are telling you you have a demon. You're arguing. We are telling you something. She said, if you think it's a lie, open your mouth and start coughing. So she too. She said, okay, let's see. <coughs> then they started doing their so-called ritual deliverance. And then she started foaming. She just started foaming. Is that not supernatural? Somebody told me, said, I know a place in Ibadan. <laughs> if you have braids on your head and I take you there, the braids will stand up. Even if you are spiritual, you speak in tongues 25 hours in a day. And then somebody will say, but I saw it. The thing stood up. There must have been a spirit there. They were the ones that put the spirit there. There wasn't any spirit except the spirit that they had. Not that they are evil people. Some of the people who do these things, they love Jesus. But they just don't know any better. You understand? So what do you do if you see something like that? Regardless of what you see, you just keep saying it. I am delivered from the power of darkness. And I'm translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm not moved by the experience I see I am experiencing now. It may look like this. My experience may say this. But it's contrary to the word of God. I believe what the word says. And I say what the word says. Then you know what will happen? Then the experience will change. But many Christians, when they hit that place, they can't reconcile it. They forget that the devil is the God of this world. And that the devil is a master at camouflaging things. He's a master of the sense realm. He can bring those symptoms. He'll make the same thing. It will look just like that. Because he wants you to start saying trash. And many times you now join him. I need deliverance. Something is wrong with it. Donald G. I'll end this session with this story. Donald G. In Donald G.'s family, he was a pioneer Pentecostal. No male lived to be 40. Yeah, no male. They never lived to be 40. None of them. When they were 39, they died. 
and it was the same thing that killed them. What was it? Heart disease. All of them. All of them. All the males. When he was 39, he was driving down the road. He began to have the same symptoms of the heart problem. Now, will we not call that ancestral cause? When no male, one generation, two generations, three generations, four generations, as far as he knew, no male ever lived to be 40. And how come it's just males? And their females are, is it that heart diseases don't affect women? You know, sometimes some of those things, they just don't make sense scientifically. But that was their experience. Said he was driving down the road and the devil said, I will kill you. You won't live to be 42. <laughs> said that he remembered scripture, Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Remember 1 John 4.4. 4. Greater, ye have gone to the children and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Then you know what he did? He began to speak the word of God. I refuse to fear. I cast out that fear. No, I'm not dying now. I'll keep living as long as I want to live. See, Donald G lived to be over 90. And it wasn't a heart problem that killed him. You know, he too could have said, hey, I'm having those symptoms. You see, that thing, you see, it is our problem. It comes every September. It happens to every male in our family. You see, hey, you know, this is our family. I'm telling you, you see, I know what I'm saying. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Eh? And then you are knowing nonsense. Instead of knowing what is written. Let's believe according to the word. Regardless of your experience. Regardless of your circumstance. And let's speak what the word of God says. more information and inquiries, please visit our website www.remanigeria.com or you can reach us on 08100163948 or 08076576163.